Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. So, uh, is it just me, or do you ever wrestle with the uh, the obvious? I because I, I you know it, it's possible it could just be me, but um, I'm no sproctologist. But if science says we're only using ten to fifteen percent of our brain, and they also say we're only using ten to fifteen percent of our DNA. That leaves a big chunk of brain that isn't developed and online, and it leaves a big chunk of our DNA. The ratios seem very similar. And and how how does that work? So if we could go back in time to like pick pick the most glorious idea you have of the past. Uh, Perhaps it's the Atlantis time, the time of Atlantis. And we, and we worked with crystals and sounds and, and, or maybe it's the Vedic era. The Vedic era was, was quite impressive. So my question is, did those human genomes, did those human personas, did they have all of their brain activated and all of their DNA activated? Are we like caterpillars and we're going to go through a metamorphosis and turn on this dormant potential? kind of screws up the Darwin thing if we're wired for stuff that hasn't been turned on yet. Because the idea of Darwin is it gets turned on and then if it's found useful, it sticks around or whatever. So it it kind of shoots that in the foot to have such a large percentage, the vast majority of our DNA the vast majority of our brain unactivated. So, so what do you think? The Vedic era, the, the, the era of Atlantis, were they fully activated? What if we could fly back in time and be a fly on the wall and observe a fully activated human genome? What would the difference be? What is it about our demeanor to have all this turned off or dormant, and yet here we are, we seem functional, tap, 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 is this thing on, tapping on our heads? Well, we're going to delve into all kinds of fun stuff in this arena, and I'm excited for it. I think we're going to have a fantastic show tonight. The topic tonight is Achieving Human Sustainability, and our guest tonight is Anthony Wall, Jr. We're going to bring him on in just a minute. I'm I'm pretty sure some of our archetypes are are going to need to be rewritten. 
the idea of a hero, the idea of a savior, the idea, well, hmm, do, do, uh, I just had that thought. Do you, do you think Jesus had all the brain and DNA stuff turned on and that's why the laws of physics got soft in his presence and he could perform miracles? I think we should get to it. We're going to have a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about achieving human sustainability and what makes human beings the most remarkable and rare species in the galaxy. Our guest tonight, Tony, brings a compelling, hopeful, and passionate message to the discussion. Tony is the founder of Noesis, an educational network that seeks global presence aimed at helping assure a sustainable future for humanity. Tony believes that once we view humanity through an unblinking lens, I like that, we will only then begin to understand how modern-day humanity arrived in its current crisis. Tony's going to be publishing a book this spring, The Human Injury. And he's also producing a series of educational videos that are available at noesesproject.com. Join me in welcoming Tony to the show. Tony, welcome to the show. Thank you, uh, Les. It's really a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for those nice words. I appreciate it. Well, talking talking about um, what makes human beings the most remarkable and rare species in the galaxy, that that's quite a statement you you put in your bio. Do you, you want to start off there? Um, yeah, one of the things that we just, uh, uh, what we're trying to do, um, we're as humanity, you know, arrives together in the present day in crisis. Um, never mind all of our unique belief systems, uh, we are. We have something in common. We've arrived in crisis uh, together as a single species. Um, <clears throat> so one of the things that we do here, um, we're trying to explain to human beings how absurdly rare we are. You know, we we treat ourselves and we treat others, um, you know, with as if we were, as if uh, we were so common and you know, we could brush one another off. We think here at Noesis that as new evidence comes in studying the universe, it would appear that it would appear more and more that human intelligence, intelligence on human level is not just ex- ridiculously rare, exceedingly rare, but to the point now where it's beginning to be- become more and more obvious that intelligence on human level may be unparalleled in the galaxy and by extension in, in the universe. So um, it's more and more data we come in that comes in about the universe. We learn more about the universe in one week than we did in the last 100 years. 
with the type of equipment that we have now, optics and, and, and so forth. Um, it's becoming very, very um, uh, apparent that a universe teeming with life is not so. Um, it would appear that we are exceedingly, exceedingly rare. The universe apparently does not have our romantic requirements that it be teeming with life, let alone sentient life. So uh, noesis is part of what we do is we teach what's called human rarity, cosmic rarity. Um, we can all agree that if we were to be given a rare painting, such as a Monet or a Picasso, we would protect it. We would go right into protecting it. Um, and like I said, we would store it somewhere. Nobody could get to it. We would. Um, I find it interesting that we would take a painting and sell it for $100 million. And then we might find ourselves stepping over the bodies of human beings on the way home. Not understanding that we're stepping over the body may be the rarest creature in the galaxy. Oh, I, I've given human beings quite a promotion there, haven't I? Because yeah. we're we're trying to find any port in the stormless to allow human beings to understand how rare we are, so that we may cherish our existence enough to keep us, you know, keep us moving in a direction where we can actually survive ourselves. And there it is. Well, I like that. But it, uh, I'm playing the devil's advocate. I'm going to ask questions just to go there. Not um, If we're – how did we get in the situation we're in then? I mean, where where did the wagon tip over? If, oh, that's a great our, question. If our collective consciousness is in so much turmoil – and and the human genome is such a precious thing, which I totally concur. When did the cart tip over? Well, I don't think you could put it in a better way than that. Uh, how did the cart tip over? How did the how did the train derail? Um, then I get to say this. I get to say that the train in fact derailed. And when I say that, I better darn well be able to show exactly that because what we do here we are fact-based um we the human beings really don't have the luxury of theory anymore we need facts we need um uh, something you know we need answers uh as we because the human uh, species is degrading that's a fair statement it's a very fair thing that we we all sense a gathering storm uh, we all sense free fall, free fall for humans, all humans. And we're here to arrest human degradation. Human degradation has to stop now. So you ask, how did it go wrong? Well, there is an absolutely straight answer for that, and I'll give it to you. Um, <clears throat> about 10,000 years ago, human beings were coming of what can be seen in retrospect, as a masterpiece of collaborative, affiliative, cooperative behavior. 
um, as we moved around the world in our migratory journey, we had to collaborate or, or perish. I wanted to make sure everybody understands it's not a casual need. We collaborated or we died. So 10,000 years ago, we arrived to all areas of the globe. And this masterpiece of a successful, loving, integrated being arrived to every part of the, uh, I call, what I call a, a masterpiece. And then something happened to us. It, we didn't do anything wrong. Way, way different than that. Actually, something did happen to us. Here it is. There was nowhere to go. So what do we logically do is we settle down into larger and larger populations. And this was aided by a, an agricultural awakening. We domesticated beasts of burden. We domesticated pack animals like dogs to, uh, to uh, manage our, our beasts of burden. Our fields of crops got larger and larger. Our villages became towns, became cities, and eventually empires. So now this is where the crossover occurred. You asked. Here it is. Migratory collaborative beings became stationary beings. As our populations grew, we defaulted logically. There is no blame whatsoever. Blame has no utility. We are observers. We are um, evolutionary scientists. We are, uh, we are dot connectors. We are linear thinkers. So now stationary being has no blueprint in its DNA on how to be stationary. We were born to run. So what, what did we do? We defaulted to behaviors of acquisition. Again, if you blame here, then something's wrong. We, who accepts our blame? So we, we would go on to fail. Many uh, stationary cultures would, in fact, go on to fail from there. Um, we eventually grew into empires, and all of these 40 empires that ever existed are, are now gone, and they were all disassembled and destroyed in precise, precise fashion. Um, it was the precision that I was very, very uh, drawn to. Why so precise? I began to look for the constant. I was in the company of a mathematical constant because precision by its nature is a mathematical thing. So we broke down and we began to act in an injured fashion as any injury would. Um, if our, you know, today, if our livers or our, or our kidneys or something were to become uh, injured, they would break down in a very well-documented fashion. When human beings became stationary, our cultures broke down in very precise ways, and that's what drew me to macro-humanism, the study of large groups, because 
here is a very, very interesting disparity. The behavior of one human being is utterly unpredictable, whereas the behavior of human groups is precisely predictable. So the disparity right there, again, drew me to what are the mathematical constants that are driving mathematically precise behavior. Uh, so it was the stationary culture less that began to fail. And that goes back to your question. What happened? What tilted over the cart? What uh, derailed the train? I point out that I've never seen a derailed train put itself back on the track. It lays there hissing and steam, you know. Uh, it is my consideration that human beings suffered no less than a, than, than a, a psychic injury to our collective experience. And um, we would, you know, I, I don't think we know, we don't know how to be stationary. We have to learn. So when you talk about these empires that failed with repeatable precision, can you elaborate on the the precision of these empires? I mean, how would you break that down? Uh, yeah, I'd love to. Thank you very much for a great segue question. Uh, yeah, uh, when I say precision, again, I need to be able to show it, and, and so I shall. Um, First time in, a, in, a, in any system of acquisition, you're going to, what's it going to do is, first of all, it, it nudged us toward unnatural behavior. Um, relatively, relative to our 275,000 year journey of collaboration, migra- uh, cooperation, affiliation, relative to that, we were now became self-interested beings. A self-interest self-interested being then in in any system of acquisition a not so funny thing happened less we created greater and lesser beings we didn't mean to it was nobody's fault nobody got together and said let's blow up the entire human experience no 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 <laughs> um uh, it, this is where i need to be specific about blame or judgment in, in, in observation or human sustainability. Again, who accepts our blame? Nobody. It, it goes nowhere here. We're observers. Um, so the breakdown became this. A lesser being, look, you know, if you put a lion in a cage, this mighty beast will lay down and within one hour. It knows it's not going anywhere. This is not so for a human being. A lesser being will spend its entire life escaping the lesser station that we've assigned to it. So we ignited no less than a mathematical, socio-mathematical concept. A lesser being defaulted to resentment for the first time. Resentment intruded upon the human experience. Resentment, again, logically defaults to vengeance. Now, we had a resentful and a vengeful being. Um, then vengeance in, then always ex- executes upon insurgency. So 
that the the whole thing, if you pardon the expression, everything went to hell, if you will, by something about uh, natural selection that is well known, and that is it relies largely upon luck. Um, we were unlucky. We gathered into larger and larger populations, and we were asked to do something that was foreign to our DNA, and we would go on to fail doing it. So that's right. That, that you asked what what upset the apple cart. It was that stationary cultures and our failure within them. The decisions we made would go on to disassemble them in precise fashion. But because we didn't know, we didn't know. We hadn't deduced evolution, had we? Now this assumes evolution uh, works for for for, for uh, people. If it doesn't, we would fight alongside them to preserve anyone's belief. Well but then, when we go ahead, if the if this came about by becoming stationary and dropping out of the migratory patterning. I know there's seven or eight billion people on the planet, and it's hard to put a mental model around it compared to a few thousand years ago. We had considerably less, but just conceptually, if we were to return to the migratory uh, modality, would would these um, dysfunctional behavioral traits dissipate? No. Um, again, a terrific question. Let me get straight to it. Uh, there's nowhere to go, Les. Our migratory journey is over. Um, we, when we settle down into uh, larger and larger populations, uh, agricultural awakening enabled that. Um, the, the idea of going back to something that isn't available to us would be preposterous. So, which brings us to this. I'm going to say this straight out, and uh, I'm going to explain myself. Capitalism only choice. But the decisions we make within this capitalistic system that we have, unfortunately, creates unnatural hierarchies. I want to stress this. Unnatural hierarchies. We moved about the planet uh, in our migratory phase, in our migratory phase in we had natural meritocracies. We rolled along like a wheel. Every part of the group was darn glad of where they, of where they were positioned on that wheel. Right. And if you think of a tire, if a t any part of a tire goes bad, the whole tire goes flat. So um, these were natural meritocracies. Uh, when we settled down into uh, acquisitive behavior, now we had unnatural meritocracies. And uh, again, this was unnatural for us. I'm not talking about somebody did something wrong. Nobody did anything wrong. We didn't know how to be what we became. And um, this goes back to human rarity. I want to make a point here. Um, there is something called the Fermi paradox, which wonders where, why we haven't met uh, extraterrestrial intelligence. Where where is everybody? Is is the Fermi paradox? If it could talk, it would say, "Where is everybody?" We should have a traffic jam of visitors, but there's something that's called the Great Filter, 
great filter is the only explanation to the Fermi paradox that has yet to be reasoned away, if you will. And that it speculates that sentient intelligence on human level or above tends to destroy itself um, during its technological infancy. It further, that this may be a constant, the idea that, you know, where is everybody? The answer is they're, they're not there. Uh, or we literally, the math says that we should be dodging, you know, probes and visitors from other places. But there's nobody. We call it the great silence. It would appear that human beings may be up against the great filter, where we have our comeuppance like every other intelligence has. And if we were to fail here, far from being a failure, it would make us cosmic typical, as in very typical in a cosmic sense, it is our challenge to the human race be perhaps the first intelligence to make it through the great filter where we do destroy ourselves in technical technological infancy and i might add that this is where we are now we are in, we are up against the filter now i want to stress this the great filter is not a casual thing look it up it is a well-known cosmic phenomenon Cosmic rarity. We, we, we are a one in 300 trillion odds. We beat that type of odds cosmically for our existence. Uh, we're trying to explain to human beings that we're taking something that we need, that cannot be taken lightly, very lightly. We are injured. We made a crossover that we didn't know how to do. We didn't fail at anything. We're dancing to a, we're, we're we're moving to the rubber to the bouncing ball called acquisition, but it was a tune we never learned. So, so to your question, go back. No, go forward. We need to know. We need to determine how to do the only thing that's left for us to do. Now, you had mentioned that um, um, when we became stationary, we, we imposed upon ourselves a value system, um, not per se your words, but um, uh, we created tiers of society and then assigned greater and lesser values to those to just parrot back what, how I understood it anyway. So is that the the mechanism of the f failure of a culture? Uh, uh, y yes. Uh, let's go back to um, a, an injured um, organ, if you will. Uh, sure. If, if a, a liver, be, if a liver becomes bad, you, you'll everybody will try to understand that. You know, I'll do a medical analogy and very respectfully, the breakdown will be something that is well-documented medically, well-documented. They all look the same. So if we do not treat an injury, it's, it's going to cross over to where it commits itself to its demise. Um, human beings crossed over 
to stationary acquisitive behavior and collaboration uh, was slowly discouraged, crowded out, and finally replaced by acquisitive frenzy, if you will, acquisitive frenzy. Um, we collaborate or die became acquire or die. A self-interested being was born, but it was nobody's fault. This was a this was like an untreated injury. We are injured beings, not flawed beings. Uh, I'm trying to swing over the entire human uh, mind uh, thinking over from self-loathing we've arrived at. We don't like ourselves as a species. That's fair. But we didn't do anything wrong. We're nursing an injury that can now be well understood. We're, we can look at back on our evolutionary timeline on Earth. We can quantify evolutionary weight upon modern behavior. It's the first time for the first time we can ever do this. And I would suggest we get busy. It's what we do. So to um, if we go back in general, ignore the big cities. If we go back to the 1700s, um, and I'm living in a house, my food, my medicine, my um, all my resources come within five, ten miles from my place because transportation right. couldn't do any bulk. And so, so that I, I, I've been thinking about the mechanism of that, where everything I need is within five or ten miles, and, and that inherently has a collaboration to it where now I can get on the internet and order something from the other side of the flipping country and I'll never connect with whoever made it or, um, so are you talking about the return to collaboration then? No, um, I, this is where I must, uh, make it the clarest statement at, at some risk, but, um, I can, I don't say anything that I cannot, uh, prove by what I, what we call absolute fact that we don't exist anymore. And that is this, um, Human beings, uh, we're not sustainable, Wes. Um, we are not a sustainable species. Um, we, we never, we, we stopped being sustainable when we stopped acting naturally. We are in fact acting unnaturally relative to the, what's wound around our bones, our DNA, what's coded into our DNA. Collaborator die is now a self-interested being. It doesn't it goes into greater lesser, the greater being um, deludes itself that it's greater. The lesser being will, will show me a lesser being, a diminished being of any kind, and I will show you the breakdown of any system that they're in, and I will also show you a breakdown that is purely precise in nature. It, it's a mathematical breakdown. These are socio-mathematics. This isn't hocus-pocus. Um, Every single uh, stationary human culture that's ever existed was disassembled by two things, two things, increasing complexity ignited by inequality. When we be, when like and equal beings organize themselves into greater and lesser unnatural meritocracy, we broke down immediately and catastrophically. 
Lucius is here to shine a light on what happened to us rather than what's wrong with us. Nothing happened, nothing wrong with us. We can agree on something, right? I can make an analogy, pull this all together. It will make sense. Let's say that you and I were, um, uh, we worked in a high school. We were uh, guidance counselors. And a student presented who was acting withdrawn, getting into fights, uh, moody, absenteeism. We would bring them in and we would sit them down. We would ask them, explain what's going on. We would take all these descriptions and finally one, one of us would say, what's going on? What happened? Not what's wrong with you. What happened to you? If we dig a little bit, somebody might come in and say, this and or young woman is going through a divorce at home. And then we would say, aha, something happened to you. You're injured. You have a broken heart. We, we can fix that. Now we know. So it occurs to me that human beings are nursing no less than broken hearts. We don't know how to be what we are. We continue to fail. But we can understand it now. We can understand the breakdown. It was not able to be known 100 years ago. We couldn't shine the light on our evolutionary timeline that we can today. Every single thing we do today will spring from a past reality. It makes sense that 100,000 generations of human beings is pressing down on all of our present moments. Who do we think we are trying to push aside Mount Everest of compulsions and impulses that activate 20 times faster than the thinking mind? We're outgunned. We're overmatched. This is a being that we that needs to be to love itself, to forgive itself. Uh, we can't do that. We don't like ourselves. Why we don't understand what happened to us? So call Noesis the guidance counselor at the high school, at the human high school. What happened here? We can't use blame less. Why? Because human beings don't respond to blame. We infer easily that these are economic models. Blame, blame. We, uh, we monetized a serial killer. Perpetual conflict. We didn't know better. Humans in conflict is not, uh, in, in perpetual conflict, is not natural to us. Unless no human being on this planet has a natural enemy. So is the... So it's a fine mess. So it's to heal the scarring of the past? Because you mentioned love, how, how to love ourselves, and and we disconnected from that. Um, so you talk about the um, to get an empire to move through this stage, to move through this, what is the, on an individual level, what transforms the collective? What transforms the collective is, is uh, education on how the collective got to, to this awful place. Um, we're lost in the woods together. 
all 8 billion human beings are lost in the same woods. We don't think we have anything in common. I beg to differ. We've arrived together. We, we, we own the present moment, all 8 billion of us. We own the same present moment. We come from the same place. There's no more conjecture here. There's, um, uh, the, we began our journey on Earth in the African Congo Basin. Um, I, want to, I want to very quickly add here, I am well aware that you are a man of, uh, of, uh, of spirit, of spiritualism. So am I. We have, we're problem solvers. So we have to have immovable presumptions in place to problem solve. Our immovable presumptions are these. Human beings, in fact, evolved on Earth. I quickly add something, quickly. To anybody who says, I'm not comfortable with evolution, I quickly say I will fight right alongside of you to preserve whatever you believe. But I have a terrific idea. Let's survive in order to believe. So we're, our species is in trouble, all right? That's fair. It's a fair statement. We're in crisis together. Uh, so can we unite politically? Of course not. Can we unite uh, religiously? Please. Can we unite culturally? No, we're not ready. But there's a fourth banner forming from out of the mist. It's called species preservation. Can we unite under the degradation of the most remarkable species perhaps in the galaxy? We're about to find out. We have many, many, many common interests, don't we? Our present moment and the fact that our entire species is in crisis for now knowable reasons. So we're about education. Our process to get us out of this jam, it took us 10,000 years to get here less. It would take us decades to get out. I would be long dead if the mission of the Oasis were to be were to uh, see fruition and if we fail well what makes us typical in a cosmic sense so noesis can promise nothing nor, nor do we we can ask everybody to look at it a lot differently uh, and stop looking at it through the lens of um, we hear words like scourge now Oh, my. Oh, my. No, no, no. No, we're, we're lost. We're frightened. We're broken. I, I, I don't know about you. I'm pretty sure you don't scold a frightened child. I'm real sure of it. We are broken. We are frightened. And we are acting every bit of it. Show me the cruelest of human hearts. Show me the coldest. Of, I'll show you a crying child. Nice. So the um, to come together in the preservation of the species, what are uh, mechanisms that Noesis is uh, looking to construct? What are the mechanisms that, um, when constructed, would move us towards the preservation of the species. Okay, um, I, I talked about socio-mathematics. Um, let me 
apply that right now? What would it look like? There are certain things that human beings think, we believe things about ourselves that we, we have more information now than ever to understand ourselves for the first time. We, we can literally go back and understand who we are for the first time because of this bright light that now shines on our evolutionary timeline. We can, we're going to have to abandon certain things, uh, delusions that we have. And when I say delusions, everybody's going to say, uh-oh, where's he going to go here? Well, maybe I'll surprise you. Sociomathematics. Um, I began to look at patterns, and I believe that you, you'll understand this. Um, we talk about ethics, morals, decency. It occurred to me a long time ago. I began to notice patterns. Here's one. Decency tends to end where action is required. That's a vaguely math thing, isn't it? Um, we are we we all want to assist. We're born to assist and to be assisted. This system that we're in right now it renders us lip service machines. When we're called into action, we tend to become disinterested layabouts. We don't mean to be. So I'm, what I'm doing is I'm quantifying the inf infinite nature of human lip service. We would need to understand that human decency is a function not of choice, but of mathematics. Um, if, if we tend to end our decency where action is required, how decent are we? We would need to let go of things like that, and we would begin to be able to be decent by our choices as a matter of our survival. Now, this also is ethics and morals. Stay with me here. If I make anybody uncomfortable, I'll bring it in for a landing. Stay with me. I began to look at ethics and morals, and I realized that there was a direct mathematical connection between ethics and consequences. It seems to me the history shows that the more, the, the more the, the, when human beings perceive consequences to be almost zero, we accelerate into infinitely unethical behavior. Conversely, when all lies are on us, now we're all good boys and girls. There's a direct mathematical connection between morals and consequences. Who are we kidding? It also occurred to me that if you show me the percentage of the probability of negative consequences for our actions, I'll show you the precise point of our ethics and morals. We tailor it directly to the probability of negative consequences. We're mathematicians less. We're not moral or immoral. We're not ethical or unethical. We do the math, and we tailor our ethics and morals there, too. We can't survive that. We would need to abandon these types of delusions to, uh, to, to gift ourselves a glimpse at our future. We would choose morals, as, uh, choose morals and to, stay, to make them and stick with them. Why? Because they would keep us breathing. Right. Well, have you considered, so we're talking about 
um, empires and their ability or inability to traverse technology. And um, if we were to successfully traverse through this this stage, and we come out on the other side of us with a sustainable dynamic, a sustainable narrative, what are the core elements of that society that has um, achieved and embodied and lives a sustainable dynamic? The three things I just talked about, decency, ethics, and morals would be central. Um, We would need, and and there's no guarantee here because we got a lot of work to do. If we're going to if we're going to tell an entire species that it needs to look at the, the idea, the idea that history shows that our ethics and morals are directly tied into our consequences and that we may not be what we think we are, that's a tough pill to swallow. However, we swallow tough pills every day to stay alive. Our doctors tell us things that are wrong with us and we need to fix. We either do them or we perish. So never mind blame. Human beings reject blame forcefully. Why? It's a threat. Nobody accepts our blame. Nobody accepts our judgment. We won't sit still to be judged or blamed. We will sit still for an explanation. And what I'm giving you is an explanation that is not a convenient one. I'm the first to know. However, I am not here to make friends. I am here to keep human beings alive on this planet. And greater and lesser beings will, they're just going to collapse the system. They always have. It's a mathematical consideration, not a situational one. Our history books sell situations. Less, when when will it dawn on us when we're reading a history book? It's the same play with different actors. Right. <laughs> well, you know, the situations sell less, but, but but if we put on the same failed play on, on, on Broadway, they would shut it down within a week. We keep putting on the same failed play, and we, we're talking situational. It's not situational. It's mathematical. So did we lose our feedback mechanism as far as the consequences of ethics and morals? For, for example, um, to collapse the tribe into a very small village with 10 or 20 people, and then I lose my ethical compass and I uh, uh, take advantage of another person in the tribe, it's visible to everyone. In in other words, um, based on the scale of the village, the consequence is more visible. And then fast forward now, and there's you know millions of people in a city. And if if I execute the same lack of morals, I might not see that metric, uh, that dynamic. Did we lose the feedback mechanism? This is where I'm, um, we've come this far, and I, I'm really very. I want to. Th- I'm very thankful. I'm very thankful that you've allowed me to lay out something that is going to resonate with many and be very inconvenient with some. I'm very aware of this. Uh, 
um, I am here to help. Okay, we we are. When I we talked about unblinking lens, we talked about that. This is an unblinking lens. Everything that happened after ten thousand years ago, when stationary cultures appeared on Earth, was unfortunately, clinically speaking, is post-injury. I talk about the human injury when collaboration yielded to acquisition and the breakdowns became so immediate and so catastrophic. That means that everything that we ever did after we stopped roaming the world and we settled down is post-injury. We are injured beings. This means that I'm, I'm trying to find a soft landing for the following. This, we're not going to make it. We are not sustainable in this iteration. The same models, perpetual conflict, conflict, that are completely unnatural to us, all around us again for the 40th time. These are the same models that collapsed every other stationary culture. We're, we're here again. Here we are again, Unless This is not uh, this is again a fine mess. I'm sorry. I, I'm I, I don't bring any value by soft pedaling the issues that are that face us. Right. That's why our that's why our odds. I want to say this: our odds to survive ourselves are very low. Never mind what I say. These are anthropological computer models. I'm trying to I'm trying to maximize our odds of surviving something that for the first time we can understand. We are post-injury beings. So the, uh, I would start here. We created lesser beings. Show me a lesser being, a kitchen of a restaurant or, a, or, or uh, in a country. The lesser being will collapse the system they're in. It's that simple. They will go right to resentment. They will go right to vengeance after that. They will plot insurgency after that. It's all over, but the paperwork. And these are mathematical breakdowns. They are always the same. So uh, pointing it out does not make me uh, a very popular man, but I am here to help. So tell us about this platform you founded, uh, Noesis, as an educational network. Um, what we're trying to do is, um, I said it earlier, first of all is awareness. You asked, what, what do we do now? Well, awareness, but people are going to say, well, that's not enough. We need more. And I want to make this clear. No, we don't need more. Um, in fact, our ancient ancestors relied on bad news less. Bad news is good news. We had to quantify our problems every day to solve our problems. Only then could we uh, continue our journey. And tomorrow, you and all 8 billion of us will wake up tomorrow, we will quantify our concerns, uh, assuaging them, and we will only then enjoy the fruits of our labor. It, we need to quantify bad news every day to stay alive. But now we look around and what do we see? We see human beings fully dissociating from our pain. It's too big. We're in escapist behavior. Um, 
this is yet another logical arrival place, Les. Logical. Whose fault is this? We're, we're fighting the uh, ghosts, if you will, the evolutionary ghosts inside of us. 100,000 previous generations pressing down upon us. We're corporeal beings. We're flesh and blood. Who do we think we are? So this is an empathic take. Um, we're asking the entire species to come in off the ledge and let's talk about this thing. You know, we're, we're broken. We've arrived broken. But we can understand the injury. And I'm going to call it no less than an injury. Um, so that's why it's called the human injury. What happened to us? Well, it's well known now. We can, we can darn well understand it. And that's what we're here to do. Um, but I want to mention also one other thing, uh, Ken. Won't make, it won't make me Mr. Popular, but here it is. There are 10 million species on this planet, Les. Um, when you snap your fingers, one just went extinct. Um, we have to understand that all of them committed to their demise long before the last of their kind fell. We're not here to worry about human extinction, no. We're here to steer human, humanity away from the rocks called commitment. Commitment is the mathematical point past which we cannot return. Right? We are stalked not by extension. No, we're stalked by commitment. We cannot commit to an irreversible reality. We will not figure it out. We will not. If we're building will be a painful reality for children and the unborn that I will not sit still for. Right. Well, an hour can go by pretty fast. Um, we've got just a few minutes left. I want to make sure you share your web page and anything else you want to share about the platform and tell us about your book that's coming out this week. Thank morning. you. Um, well, I want to first thank you, and I mean this very, very much. I mean this very, very sincerely. Um, the flavor of your show is, is very different than what I've just talked about, and yet you so graciously allowed me to, to bring this, uh, bring this in where, you know, this is something a little bit different, this macro thing that we uh, – I want to thank you for that. Um, you just let me do my thing. Um, we are at noesisproject.com. Uh, the Human Injury comes out April 7th. It describes everything that happened to us, nothing about what's wrong with us. Um, you know, if we're all walking along in the mall and a frightened child presented to us, who among us would not drop what they're doing to make sure that that frightened child got back home? How are we so different? How are we so different? We're frightened. We're acting every bit of it. Us versus them. Never been worse. We're injured. So I'm not going to sit still for any of this scourge and stuff like this anymore. We're at noesisproject.com. The human injury comes out all over the place, 102 languages. And I am very, very happy to have been able to uh, describe it to you. Well, very nice. Um we're pretty much out of time at this point, so I want to thank you for being our guest tonight. I very much appreciate it. 
Thank you so much. Anytime. And good luck to you. We've been talking with uh, Anthony Wall, Jr., and the topic tonight has been Achieving Human Sustainability. You know, the the idea of uh, a collective experience. Remember in uh, 2008 when the uh, economy crashed? Karma, karma is a weird thing. Um, our society has these pyramid-shaped structures, and one of those is our currency, our money. The, the value of our money determines everything. The, our access to money or our in um, in excess to money decides where we go to school, the house we live in, the vacations, etc. So what if imagine imagine this? Um, there's a, a just daydream. Don't get too overwhelmed with it. There's a culture, and they decide to come up with a con- uh, currency, and so they they print. A hundred billion dollars, and that's the currency of the culture. A hundred billion dollars. Now, what if I become a hundred billionaire? And as an individual, as as a single individual, I accumulate all the currency of the culture. The more money I I. Uh, accumulate out of the collective, the lesser is for other people. We're seeing the the value of our currency flop around like a fish in a fry pan. In order for us to to break out of pyramid structures, like I was saying in the show um, many years ago. Everything you needed to exist was within five to ten miles of you. That suggests a honeycomb structure. I know it doesn't uh, make any linear sense, but what if we had a thousand currencies? I know it doesn't make any rational sense. I know your mind goes into overload. I know that doesn't make any sense. But the pyramid structure that we've had periodically trashes the whole flipping rodeo. And when uh, when the shipping industry got stood on its head, when what we needed to survive was beyond that honeycomb cell, and we were um, dependent on things coming across large ponds of water. Karmic, karmically, that's that's a, another pyramid thing where a, a single point sustains multiple points. Karmically, those are always train wrecks. Pyramid structured anythings are karmic risks. So the electricity goes out in your house and you get the phone book 
and you and you open the phone book, there's only one line for the power company. There's only one phone number to call. Now we're seeing some diversity in electricity, but you know, if I crash my car, there's 25 pages of car repair. And so it's not a big deal because I have a lot of choice. But if I have no choice, I have no power. If I have more choice, I have more power, individual power. Honeycombs provide more choices. I'm here to to mangle your thinking. To to, to throw... uh, wrenches in in the uh, <laughs> that that peaceful mind you were trying to achieve with meditation this morning i these are exciting times to be alive i think humanity is going to surprise us all when we untether the potential of the human persona that's the basis of this show and it has been the basis for many, many years. Well, we're out of time. Here we are. You've been listening to a New Human Living broadcast. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Let me ask you a question. How many times during today, this day, has your heart and soul had direct communication with you? Our egos left unchecked will easily consume all of our thoughts and consciousness as we go throughout the day, where we really are living an ego-led life. But our ego cannot even comprehend the vision our soul has for us. If you want to increase your personal power, make space throughout your day for your heart and soul to inspire you. Citizen King, The New Age of Power, is a book I wrote just for that. I want to thank you for joining us tonight. I appreciate it. Until next time, thanks for listening.